I'll be uh, reading now the version of New King James, just because some of the wording kind of matches up a little more. Um, I have to bear with me this morning. I'm kind of struggling a bit, kind of getting to these periods where I overthink a lot and then I can't focus. So just bear with me this morning. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor set foot on the path of sinners, or set in the seat of the mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law meditates day and night. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, just thank you for the day that you've given us, and this time we can be here to worship you, and uh, spend time thinking about your word. And God, I just pray that you just help us to see this, how it might fall in our lives today, and how we worship you is based on how we live and how high of a view we have on you in our lives, Lord. And I just pray that you'll just help us all to see within our own hearts how high of a view we have of you and what we put you as far as priority in our lives. And uh, just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And so today, uh, short verses. I don't know that it will be as short of a sermon, but there's at least only two verses. So there might be a little bit of hope there. Um, but these two verses, I, I had thought about this, uh, this thing. This, Psalms chapter 1 has been on my heart for a while. And last week I decided to kind of break it down a little bit and kind of look at different aspects of it and how it might apply to our lives in, as believers, as Christians. And so uh, that's the goal here today is kind of think about that. These two verses show us uh, really in two different ways what our lives look like when we don't uh, listen to God's counsel, but at the same time what our lives look like when we do listen to his counsel. And uh, that's what it says, blessed is the man who does not walk. And at the same time it leads us through those steps of what life looks like when we do listen to God's counsel or do listen to the counsel of the wicked. And all of us are bound to listen to that counsel in our lives. And so um, sometimes we think we might be above that, but there is always voices screaming in our ears trying to get us to do and live life contrary to how God and Christ has called us to live. And so if you're like me, up until recently when I would think about these Psalms, I would see that there are two paths and those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we're on the right path and everyone else is on the wrong path. Um, and I've come to realize within my own life especially that it's not as simple as that. Uh, that we get to certain parts and we're going to see that I, I want to be clear that those of us who have placed our faith in Christ will not face the judgment that's talked about at the end of this passage. Um, None of us can obtain the righteousness that is given to us by God that is only by the faith in Christ uh, that we receive his righteousness. Otherwise, we're not perfect. We don't live a perfectly righteous life. Uh, but it's only by Christ that we can escape the judgment. And so when God will judge the world, he's going to make all things new. And so this whole uh, psalm altogether kind of points out uh, the history of mankind all the way to the end. The, in the history of mankind, in the beginning, God created mankind and mankind chose 
the counsel of the wicked over God's counsel. And so we see how that plays out through the history. And then we see this talks about the end times where God will destroy evil. He will destroy the ways of the ungodly and make things all new. And so when those that have put their faith in Christ and are clothed in his righteousness will remain. But that does not mean that we as Christians don't stray oftentimes from the counsel of God within our hearts and within our actions. And so verse 1 really tells us how this plays out. It begins begins in our hearts, then it spreads to our behavior, and then as it spreads to our behavior and it becomes more of a lifestyle, we end up actually having it as an attitude towards God and how we see Him as far as having His authority in our lives that oftentimes as Christians we can take His authority from a high place in our lives and bring it down to where it carries little to no weight. And so before we ever get to the council. Uh, that affects our be- before we ever get to our behavior, the counsel first infects our hearts and it affects the way we think and it causes us to think in ways that God has not caused us to design or designed us to think. And so this is not merely behaving in ways that God says not to, though it will lead to that. It's thinking in ways that God says not to because that's where counsel starts. It starts within our hearts. It starts when we entertain the idea of what counsel is, that, those words, that advice that we'll talk about in a minute. And so oftentimes we think as Christians that because we're not doing some of the things that those around us are doing, that we're fine. Uh, but the Pharisees' lips, they spoke of God. In their hearts, they abstained from certain sins, uh, the outward sin. And yet the Bible tells us that their hearts were far from God. And so it can be the same way with us as Christians today. And so the question we have to ask, we have to start off by asking is what's in our hearts? Uh, because what's in our hearts conveys to us what counsel we are listening to. And so this first line says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And so we begin by thinking about our thought life. Why is it important for us to think about our thought life when we think about counsel? Uh, Because Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says, Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so our behavior flows from our way of thinking. And the counsel that we listen to influences our way of thinking. And so we need to be aware of what's going on in our thoughts. And so I want to first of all talk about how this is kind of individually our responsibility to be aware of that. Um, It first starts off by saying blessed is the man. Some versions say person. It really applies to all of us. This is wisdom literature. It applies to any single one of us who are a child of God. Uh, But I want us to notice that it's singular here. That it doesn't talk about groups of people. It's not talking about nations or churches or any of that. Although it can apply to those situations. It begins by telling us that it's singular. And so why is that important? Because oftentimes we neglect to see that all of us are individually responsible for our relationship with God and our actions and what we think about and those things that accompany what we think about in our lives. And so I've often heard it said, and I've said it myself growing up, that our nation needs a revival. And, and while I believe that that is possibly true, that our nation does need to see revival, I think there's been a lot of times in my life that when I've said our nation needs revival, I've really taken the focus off of what God intends me to focus on as his child. My main concern as a child of God should not be our nation needs a revival, but I need a revival. Every single day of my life. And that's what the Bible says. That's what Paul says. That's what we sing in that hymn. I need thee every hour. 
Paul says, I die to self daily. And so it is a lifelong process that does not allow us to take our guard down as children of God and be fine with the way we are. Because every single one of us need to grow. But sometimes we miss those areas that we need to grow when we start to think, well, our, I need to focus on a, a bigger picture, a bigger problem. And so why, why is that important? Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And none of us really know the full depth of our hearts. None of us always see the things in there that might be causing us to be tripped up as Christians and causing us to get thrown off the right path. And so the reason individual responsibility is important here is because I've been to many, many revivals growing up. And oftentimes when I've gone to these revivals and you see somebody who, just a few people maybe, that actually look into their hearts, they see the sin that's there, they recognize it, they're broken from it, and they turn from it. And there's almost this sense of joy that happens there that kind of becomes contagious to everyone around. Right? And so everybody's excited, and I've seen that many times in my life. Um, and then what we might notice sometimes is that a week goes by, a few days go by, and maybe even just a, a, you know, a day sometimes, and that revival begins to go away. And, and the question we often ask ourselves is why? You know, we hear about these revivals happen around the, the country, but then we don't hear about them anymore. And that doesn't mean that it hasn't had an effect. Okay, they have had an effect, I, I guarantee um, but the reason we start to hear less and less about them or whenever we see that within our churches is because only a few people tend to really look at their own lives and see that sin in their lives and turn from it. And, and so everybody else kind of plays off of their emotions. Not everybody's examining their hearts. They're seeing this big thing happen and they're not really looking into their own lives and see where they need to change. And so I, I know that's a lot to say, but the question then becomes like, what does this first have to do with revival? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, this has everything to do with revival because as Christians, we only need revival when we've stopped listening to the counsel and applying God's counsel to our lives. And so when we look around in our country and we say Christians need revival, that's what we're saying. That many of us have taken our eyes off of the way Christ has told us to live. And so that's individual responsibility. And so the first word here that we see is blessed. Um, give me a moment. <laughs> uh, some translations say happiness, you know. I believe that's what the CSB has chosen, and, um, and I understand, you know, why they, they feel that that's actually the word, but the word bless seems to better actually describe what's going on here. Uh, because happiness, at least by our culture's way of thinking, is rooted in what we have, it's rooted in our circumstances, and it is a feeling, it's basically a feeling according to our way of looking at things, and a feeling that's very hard to maintain in life, it comes and it goes. And so to be blessed means to have joy or deep contentment. And it's not based on whether or not the things line up in our lives the way that we plan. This verse tells us that we don't find our joy and contentment in life in the same things the world does. And so David says that the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. And so when he's saying that, um, he's telling us that we find everything we need in God's counsel in our lives as he leads us, as he guides us down paths of righteousness. And so within it, we find all that we need. And if we spend our lives chasing a feeling, then we'll find ourselves always wanting. And on top of that, we'll always end up looking in the wrong places to maintain that feeling. And so, and so counsel, or hold on. And so, 
And so, and so being blessed really consists of that. Uh, um, having that deep joy, that deep contentment uh, that comes from what counsel we listen to. Um, and so next we have the word counsel. Some versions say advice. I don't believe the word advice is wrong. But I find the word counsel to be personally more relatable to myself because over the past decade I have seen a counselor. And typically you can do one or two things when you go to see a counselor. You can vent or you can try to get to the root of the problem. And a lot of times people go to a counselor and they vent for a little bit, which feels good for maybe about an hour. And then all of those feelings come back. Um, but a counselor isn't just there to listen to us. Um, which they, 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 if they're a good counselor, they will listen to us, but they're there to also try to give us the tools that we need to change the way we think, okay? And so, because if we change the way we think, we change our outlook on life, and then we change, uh, as a result, we change the way we live. And so, some people say that psychological mumbo-jumbo. You know, it's really just a biblical way of looking at things in life. And, and I got a few verses that kind of show that and express that. Romans chapter 12, 1, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. That's Colossians 3, 2. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up above the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedience to God. And so finally, brothers, this is Philippians 4, 8, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And so it's not psychological mumbo-jumbo. It's, it's God trying to get us to submit to him, even on our thinking. You know, sometimes we think just our actions, but he actually wants us. He wants what's best for us in our mental health life. And most of you know that I struggled with bipolar, and you know that that was a big area of my life, that I faced a lot of depression. I wasn't able to take medication for it, and so I kind of just grinned and bared it. And, uh, and really, up until I started seeing a counselor, I thought that stuff was coming out of nowhere. Um, I thought it was... I thought it had to do with just being depressed because I hear a lot of times people just talking about uh, not knowing where their depression goes. Uh, but once I started sorting through that, I realized that depression just doesn't come out of nowhere. And sometimes we think it does. We, we, we can't identify it all the time, but once we start seeing that, we see that depression doesn't just come out of nowhere. And oftentimes it comes as a root of why uh, we're allowing ourselves to think a certain way that the world tells us to think. They're telling us what to focus on. They're telling us what's important in our lives. And as we think about those things more and more and more, it causes us to feel that lack of joy and contentment. And I think this is the whole point of what I'm trying to talk about, is that contentment and lack of contentment, lack of joy comes in the fact that we listen to certain voices that say, hey, it's okay to think about this. It's okay to let your mind wander. And, and God is telling us through his apostles, don't let your mind wander. Take your thoughts captive and submit them to obedience to God. I can't tell you how many times my mind went to terrible places because I didn't try to focus on the things that God has told me to focus on. And so it's that counsel that starts to shape how we think in life. It starts to shape the way we look at life. And then it starts to shape um, what we live out. That counsel becomes what we live out. And so, and so the counsel of the wicked, the whole point of that was to show what counsel is, but now to talk about the counsel of the wicked and what it does basically in every single day of our lives. 
And so the counsel of the wicked is aimed at doing the same thing. It's trying to get us to think a certain way, corrupting us from the inside out. It started in the garden when Satan twisted God's words in at least three different ways. Uh, he twisted the goodness of God. He twisted the promise of God. And he twisted God's design for mankind. And so God told Adam and Eve that they could eat of any tree in the garden. Satan comes along and he says, did God really say that you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? Well, that's not God's advice. And so he caused them to question God's goodness. God told them they could eat of any tree, just not the one. And so, and so he distorts the goodness of God. And then he begins to, begins to attack the promise of God. He says to them, surely you won't die. And so he goes on to realize when we hear what God said, his promise was that they would die if they ate of the fruit of knowledge and good and evil. And so God's promises are, are meant to lead us to trust in him and not doubt him. Um, and, and many times we don't trust the promises that God has for us, and that's kind of why our lives go the way they do. And so then he tells them that they will be like God. And, and this is something we kind of discussed a little bit Wednesday in the men's group is that um, we're already made in the image of God in the fact that we're made in his likeness. And so being, knowing the difference between good and evil does not make us any more like God. In fact, apart from that, apart from God guiding us in the knowledge of good and evil, then we begin to twist good and we begin to twist evil and we make it our own design. And that is exactly what happens every time we listen to the counsel of wicked in our lives. Is God really looking out for what is best for me? Can I really trust God and his promises for my life? And so at one point, once we've got past those two first questions and we've decided, I don't trust God's promises, I don't think that he has what's good for me, then we choose our own design, we choose our own path that we think is going to grant us the most instant gratification, making us our own God. And so it's played out throughout mankind with humans throughout the history, and until God sets everything right, it'll continue to play out. And so the main mindset is provide for yourself, trust, for your, trust yourself, and live according to the design of your own choosing. And I become at the center of all of that. And you know, we declare that in our society, those people who don't belong to Christ, and even some Christians have this warped way of thinking. They say, live your truth, your version of what God has already designed. And that's what our culture says. But there is only God's truth and the world's lies. And so the world tells us that if it feels good, do it. If it feels bad, escape from it by any means possible. And so we see it as it plays out in the lives of the unbeliever. That counsel forming the way we think. And then it begins to cause how we live in life. And so we also see it in a child of God. We see it within our own hearts as Christians when we are told that life is about me. We, we see it whenever we as Christians... Been, been, pursue materialism, living comfortable lives so that we don't have to feel pain, or instead of trusting God for peace. And so this pursuit can cause us to neglect the life that God has for us to live, which can lead us away from trusting God and taking God out of the center of our lives, which is breaking the first commandment. And so it's that counsel that leads us to think, is God really trust, can I trust God? And then in essence, we're told by our culture, the bad counsel of life is about us. And so counsel to pursue money and material things and comfort in our culture is in our face every day. And so it comes in the form of counsel that is aimed at stealing our joy in Christ. 
That's really what Satan intends to do within our lives is to steal our joy in Christ by taking Christ's counsel out of the center of our hearts. And so it also occurs when we stop trusting God's promises. You know, and this comes in many forms that we start worrying about tomorrow, which God tells us not to do. And, and when we start listening and thinking according to the counsel of the world, it leads us to emptiness, depression, fear, anger, and hopelessness. And so that sounds a lot like whenever I listen to the news, just listening to their counsel of what I should be thinking about, and what I should be angry about. It leads me to a sense of state of hopelessness and fear and anger. And so God tells us, don't lean on our own understanding. Don't try to wrap your mind around the problems of the country and around the problems of the world. And so we're not meant to be all-knowing. And sometimes we say it's for the sake of being informed. But really, God is all-knowing and God is informed. And he is in control. And so we're supposed to trust him. But wicked counsel leads us to take our eyes off of God being in control. And that really goes back to the whole Garden of Eden. Does God really want what's best for you? Is he really a God that you can trust his promises? And so... When we spend our time thinking about things that lead us away from trusting God's goodness and sovereignty in all things, his promises begin to carry little to no weight in our lives. And our joy and our contentment will flee from us because we have removed him from his promise of power. And so counsel that is not of God is going to lead us to doubt God. It's going to lead us to doubt his goodness and lead us to doubt his sovereignty in our lives and in the world. But this verse is a promise. It's not maybe. It doesn't tell us that we might be blessed. You might experience joy. And yet so many of us as Christians, myself included on many occasions, walk around feeling hopeless, depressed, afraid, and angry. And that really just about sums up so many of us as Christians in this country. We're so afraid of the future. We're so afraid of what's going to happen. God's counsel does not lead us to that place. His instruction leads us not to focus on ourselves and what we can gain and what is beyond our control. But worldly counsel will steal our joy and contentment every time. Desires fueled by worldly counsel destroys joy and contentment. And that's when you know that that's counsel you shouldn't be listening to. And so this is important. Why is this important? Because it leads us to ignoring the instructions that we see in verse 2. And that's our goal here, to be obedient to God's instruction and not listen to the worldly counsel. But we ignore that instruction by removing God from the center of our lives and then ignoring those who he's called us to love because I become the focus. And so really in our pursuits of living for self, we take our minds off of God being in control and we take our minds and put it on ourselves being the main, the main object of our worship, so to speak. And so when we sing about worship this morning, if we're living for self, if we're, if we're forgetting about putting God first in our lives, we're really worshiping ourselves. And so, and so that's why it's important, but it also leads us away from loving others. And so to, to regroup here... Um, I know that I've talked about some of these issues in the past. I've talked about the fear. I've talked about the chaos. I've talked about all sorts of things that we as Christians are facing in this country as a result of listening to bad counsel. You know, that's really at the root of it. Bad counsel telling us how we should think. And so I know that I've talked about those things in various sermons in the past. I really haven't talked about it in a while. 
Um, but it's not because I know what anybody in here is thinking. I don't. I don't know your pursuits in life. I only know my pursuits, and I know that I'm not perfect in these areas, that I find myself pursuing counsel of the world. And so I think we all need to be aware of that. That's the whole point of this, is to be aware when godly counsel is being overtaken by the world's counsel in our lives. Uh, but the reason I talk about these things fairly often is that fear that we get from thinking we have to be aware of everything going on and the pursuits in our lives that lead us away from God is because I think it's two of the biggest problems that we face as Christians in our country. Either trying to find joy outside of our relationship with God, which the Bible tells us is impossible, or listening to voices that tell us what we should fear, what we should be angry about, or who our enemies are which leads us away from loving others the way that Christ has told us to because they think differently and they live differently than us. And that counsel rooted in what is best for me leads us to sin in a variety of ways that we don't even have time to talk about this morning. But that counsel leads many of us as Christians to not have the joy in our life that God has promised. And that's mostly internal. That's mostly like just focusing on what the counsel of the world tells us is important. Like, I can't tell you, like, the power of thinking on what God says and his promises versus on the promises of the world and the life that it tells me to pursue and the important things it tells me to think about. Like, that's, that's the main thing that destroys us and steals our hope and joy in this world is that we've simply allowed it to ruminate in our minds and just dwell on it and think on it until it takes our joy and contentment away from us. And so, with that in mind... It always leads to sin in some form or fashion. Um, uh, but the next, the next phrase that David writes within this verse is, sets foot on the path of sinners. And so after we've allowed counsel to saturate our hearts and create within us worldly patterns of thought, it goes from listening to and thinking on that counsel to acting in sin. And so sin is disobedience to God. And at the root of that disobedience is selfishness, which stems from bad counsel. And so we, play, we see this play out when someone twists the design that God has. We see it in sexual immorality. We see it in lying. We see it in stealing and murder. And the list goes on. Uh, we can look around and we can see the many ways that mankind has twisted God's design. And as a Christian, we sometimes, we sometimes fail to see that there's two sides of this coin. You see, sin is not only a list of things that we're not supposed to do. It's also not doing the things that God has called us to do out of love for him and out of love for others as his children. And so oftentimes we fail to act upon the commands that Christ has given us. And it becomes a lifestyle for many of us as Christians. And I think that's the key word, lifestyle. When our lives become about ourselves instead of listening to God whenever he tells us to love others and continually not trusting and obeying God's counsel. And I think it comes in the fact that we break the two commandments, to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so when we don't do that, we're sinning against God. And so... Sometimes we just look and we see that it's all, all the things that bad people are doing around us. And, and sometimes we fail to neglect that we're supposed to be doing some of the things that Christ... We're supposed to be doing all the things that Christ has called us to do. Um, it's easy to go to church. And, and it's easy to come here uh, throughout the week. Um, but what do we do with the rest of our time? You know, what do we pursue in our lives outside of a Sunday morning? How do we treat others throughout the day? 
Are we showing the kind of love that Christ commands us to? Is that coming out in our words and in our deeds towards others? And so I think that these are two important questions that we should examine our hearts to see if we're living the life that Christ has called us to live. Uh, because when we don't, that becomes, um, that becomes sin. And so we may, not, we may not look at this as sin, um, but if we're not living these things in, out in our lives, we are disobeying God. And so that's what James says in four, uh, cha- James chapter 4, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do it and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And, and so when we hear um, the list of commands that Christ gives us and we don't act upon it, that's sin. And so if all we do is abstain from a list of don'ts, which has kind of been the trend for the past several decades here in America, um, we become religious. But religiously abstaining from things doesn't mean that our lives are right with God. Sin comes in a variety of forms. And so when we listen to that counsel that leads us away from God and from why he has us here, which is for the pursuit of the kingdom of righteousness, in some form or another, it will lead us to break the commandments. And so uh, the next one we see is sit in the seat of mockers. So it goes from a way of thinking to a way of acting to an attitude and a posture towards God. You know, atheists who reject God, they reject his existence and design. They mock God. They mock the idea of God. They take God and his authority from a high position and they bring it down to nothing. He has no authority in the life of an atheist. And so they suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness, living objectively in their own truth. That's what Paul tells us over in Romans. And that's their motto, live your truth. And as Christians... As Christians, if we have allowed wicked counsel to shape how we think and control how we live, um, which means that we do things that we're not supposed to do and we don't do the things that we're supposed to do, um, that becomes the evidence in our lives that we've elevated ourselves over God's will in our lives. And so lack of actions, our lack of money and mercy, or lack of love and mercy conveys that God's authority is not reigning in our lives. And so the Pharisees scorned Jesus' teachings. Think about whenever they, he talked about money and you can't serve both God and, and money. And the Pharisees didn't like that because they had a love for money. And when we ignore some of the more radical teachings of Christ that he teaches, we lessen his authority in our lives and then what he says doesn't carry the weight that it should. Um, teachings like denying ourselves and seeing others as more important than ourselves a lot of times we think more highly of ourselves than others in this country. Uh, you know, I, I pulled into Burger King not too long ago, and they have this new motto uh, I, I heard for the first time, Welcome to Burger King, where you reign. And, and that just kind of seems reflective to me of like how, how we view um, sometimes Christ's authority in our lives versus our will. That, uh, that we're not allowing him to reign, but we're reigning in a sense that we're in control. And then, um, you know, Paul tells us that God will not be mocked. To not allow ourselves to be caught up in the thinking and living, the sowing and the reaping that the world pursues. To not say God's authority reigns over us and then not strive to let his authority play out in our lives. And he tells us not to grow weary of doing good, to make our lives about loving others, denying self and enduring in those things until the end. And so that way of thinking and living is rooted in the counsel of Christ. 
Um, and so we have to ask ourselves, are we letting Christ's authority have our lives? Or, or does the way we live show that we don't value his authority as much as we should? Uh, because the Bible does show us that it is a form of mocking when we take God's uh, value and we bring it down to nothing. Um, I'm going to jump forward a little bit here. Uh, verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And so this is bound to happen in our lives. We're bound to, to stray. We're bound to put God last in our lives from time to time. Um, but if we are prone to wander as Christians, how do we seek to avoid this in our lives? Um, all of these things are issues of the heart, stemming from wicked counsel. And so why don't I put, my, uh, why don't I put others before myself? Because my heart isn't right. Uh, why don't I love my neighbor as myself? Because my heart isn't right. And, and so those laws are God's counsel in our lives, and his counsel, just like any counsel, is supposed to shape the way we think and guide our way of living in this life, leading us back to his design instead of our own. And so God does that by transforming our hearts uh, as we submit to him to, so, that we, so that we think and live and love the way that he has created us to. When we talk about meditating, it's not just about memorizing a bunch of scripture. Um, sometimes we can think, well, I've memorized scripture, and so I'm good to go. But it's actually about let it, letting that scripture saturate our minds so that our hearts can uh, be made new. And so when we engage and we submit to God's word, we let it shape us. Uh, this is where that starts to change in our hearts. Uh, Pharisees knew the law. They memorized the first five books of the Bible, which is also called the Torah. But they did not know how to interpret it and apply it the way that God has told us to. And so it's important to understand the essence of the law, um, which we'll wrap up here soon. Uh, otherwise, we end up practicing empty religion. And so Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so on the surface, these laws sound simple. Uh, but in essence, it's two of the most difficult things to do in our lives unless God, unless God changes our hearts. And even then, it's really impossible for us to live these out perfectly. And so um, we still have the counsel of the world screaming in our ears, which kind of tells us to focus on ourselves. The counsel, the whole point of talking about the counsel of the wicked earlier was that it's rooted in self. And whenever we have our lives and our minds and our hearts rooted in self, we cannot, we cannot follow these two commandments. We cannot live them out in our lives because these commandments are to focus on God and to focus on others. And so if we listen to the commandments that the world gives us on live for self, we cannot live those out. And that's the biggest problem throughout this whole thing. I'm not just trying to like list a bunch of random things and, and say like this is, this is what your life should be like. I'm saying here that these counsel that leads us to endure and embrace ourselves leads us to deny uh, the laws that God has for us to live out. And so if it isn't genuine love, we become religious. And so to love God is not just to fear him, although that's part of it. 
Um, because, but to love God is because our hearts are changed by him. We go from thinking we have to listen to him to wanting to listen to him, to desiring him at the center of our lives. Uh, we don't get that unless our hearts are changed. And so if it isn't genuine love, we become religious. And if our hearts don't lead us to genuinely live out the first commandment, then we aren't going to genuinely live out the second one. Jesus says that it's similar to the first one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, but notice what it doesn't say. And I didn't realize, didn't really think too much about this until a little while back. Uh, it, it doesn't say just to do a bunch of kind things for your neighbor. Um, it doesn't say to donate your time for, to charity. It doesn't say to um, give your money to the poor. Like, and, and Jesus does command us that, but that's not the root of everything here. Um, you know, we can do all sorts of things. And we can donate our time. We can donate our money to charity. And we can do all of those things and not actually love the person we're doing them for. And I think that that's, that's something that we ought to ponder on for a moment. That we can be kind. We can be nice to people and not actually love them. It can come from a place of obligation. And it can become something that we do either to make ourselves look better or to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. But it doesn't mean we love them. And the commandment is to love them. And if we share the gospel without loving others, those who we share them with, we become hypocrites. Because God shares Jesus with us because he loves us. And we're to share Jesus with others because we love them. And so I've once heard somebody say a long time ago, don't question your motives, don't worry about it, just to be obedient to God. But God is not primarily concerned with our deeds and our hearts. He's not primarily concerned with our deeds and our actions, he's concerned with our hearts. He wants us to be transformed, not just to act right. He wants us to genuinely love others because the commandment is to love. That's a state of heart. That's not a list of deeds. And out of that will flow genuine obedience to God. Um, but doing it, um, but doing empty religious deeds without love, we still break his commandment. And, and we break it more often than we realize. And so this is why our hearts need to change, like every single day. To love is to look at others and see them with the same kind of mercy, the same kind of compassion and value that God sees us with. Unconditional. That's what it means to just love anyone and everyone. And we're not supposed to pick and choose who we show that love towards. It's just supposed to be there for anyone around. And so, because that's how God loves us, and we were made in his image, and so Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, uh, right after he tells us to love our enemies, which is kind of a big, uh, kind of a big deal when you think about it. Uh, and so if you stop and think about it, this is really impossible. Like loving the way that he's telling us to love. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's impossible. And so the law, which is God's instruction, which tells us to love God and love others, is impossible to achieve in the way that he tells us to achieve it. And so what kind of instructions are that? If I go to the store and I buy something and bring home to put together and the instructions tell me I'm never going to be able to put it together, I'm taking that back to the store because it just doesn't make sense to buy something like that. 
But we're to love our coworkers. We're to love our enemies, people who don't care about us, and those who seem more broken than us. And yet we'll never do it. Yet we'll never reach that commandment. And it's not just because of wicked counsel. Wicked counsel definitely leads us from doing that. It, it pulls us away from being obedient to God, but it's because our hearts are wicked. And that's the verse I read earlier, that it is wicked. Even though we're Christians, we still have wickedness in our hearts that leads us to selfishness. And so I'm going to attempt to tell a, a, a shortish story here. Um, there's a guy by the name of John Foreman, and he is from a band called Switchfoot. And uh, he, him and his band, they go on mission trips a lot. And as they go on these mission trips uh, together, uh, they learn a lot. They, they, they learn a lot from those mission trips. And so John Foreman, the lead singer, said that if you go on a mission trip somewhere, uh, don't go there expecting that you're going to change things. And I think that sometimes that can be the way that we look at it as things. We're better off and we know what's going on, so we're going to go down there and make a difference. But he says, go there expecting to have your hearts open and your eyes able to see people the way that God wants us to see them. And so I had that, that whole intention in mind whenever Sarah and I went to Mexico. Um, but I had that hope that, that, that I would see things that way. Um, but before Mexico, before we went, I wasn't in a good place. Um, I was actually in a really bad place. I was very much focused on myself and not thinking about others. Um, there was a lot going on in life. I was completely discouraged. I was pretty bummed out. And uh, right before we left to go on to Mexico, I didn't even want to go because I had gotten such a place where um, I just did not care about anybody but myself. And, uh, you know... But, but it was paid for, and I, I was expected to preach. And so, obligation. It wasn't coming from a place of love. It wasn't coming for love for people in Mexico. It was out of obligation. And so, we get down there, and we start seeing all the behind-the-scenes stuff, and I'm kind of in my own little world. And uh, we do various things where we set up uh, kids' events on, uh, on different nights. We did at least four of them out of the whole time that we were there. And... Two of those nights, we, uh, we set up movies that we would watch on the side of a building. And, um, you know, these, we had some pretty good turnouts to these. And you wouldn't, like, pass out flyers. You would just kind of announce it, and kids would just kind of flock because nobody had anything to do. And so, um, you know, we'd see parents sitting around, and they would just be kind of smiling, and they would be tearing up because nobody ever does anything with their kids. There's no churches in the areas except for these little apartment churches that uh, the church planter kind of planted there. And so, so some of that started to warm my, warm my heart a little bit. Um, but what really kind of made a difference to me is one of the nights that we were setting up for this, uh, this, to watch this movie, as it was starting to get dark, um, I'm standing there just in case anybody needs any help with anything. And all of a sudden, I, I look over, and I see this guy just staring at me. And you know, this guy has sunglasses on, even though it's close to dusk. He has rings all over his fingers. He has tattoos. And I'm just looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, this guy looks like he could kill me. And so I'm just I'm standing there a little worried about it. And he's just smirking at me. And I have no idea what's going on. And all of a sudden, he looks at me. He keeps looking at me. He just walks straight towards me. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is exactly why parents don't want their kids to go on mission trips because of things like this. And so, um, but as he gets towards me, 
Like he puts out his hand and I grab his hand kind of out of instinct and we do one of those kind of halfway hugs that guys do so it's not awkward. And, um, and as, as I'm standing there, like he's looking at me and you could tell on his face that there was like some joy, but there was also a lot of brokenness. And he starts to talk to me. This guy reeks of alcohol and he is on something that's kind of like, um, he's, out of his, he's out of his head quite a bit. But he starts to talk to me, and so since I don't speak Spanish, I called the interpreter over, and uh, he began to tell me what he said. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, I was on my way to do something bad tonight. And I'm just like, okay, what kind of bad thing were you going to do? And am I now the target of this bad thing? And there was a little bit of fear there um, that shouldn't have been there, but it was. And so he goes on to say, but then I saw you guys here, and I decided to stay with you. And, uh, you know, he, he, he continues and he says, I've done a lot of bad things in my life. And, you know, I, at that point, like, I'm thinking, I, I just, I'm supposed to share the gospel with him. And so I start trying to share the gospel with him. Well, he, he, he doesn't shut up. He just keeps talking. And so I'm finally look at the interpreter. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to listen to him. I'm not going to try to respond and, uh, and, and I, I realized within my heart later that that was me trying to share the gospel out of obligation. It wasn't out of love. Um, and, and so a little bit goes by and he says, I don't have anybody in my life. I've been alone a long time. And, and there was something in that moment that, that just changed in my heart uh, that was really just this outside source um, changing in my heart. And I just, I suddenly didn't care about the smell of alcohol. I suddenly didn't care about the fact that this guy looked like he could kill me. And I just didn't care about any of that. And I just kind of just wrapped my arms around him in that moment. And he was bawling because he was broken and he wanted someone just to listen to him. In fact, he said that later. He kept saying that, just thank you so much for listening to me. And, um, you know, he, he said, thank you guys for coming here. Continue to come back because our kids need this. They need to be distracted from the things that are going on around them. And, and, and so he was aware of that kind of bad environment. And, and so he asked me to pray with him. I prayed with him. And, and he, he kind of went off and did his own thing. He was kind of speaking out of his head. And he, you know, he just saying things that were weird. But a lot of what he said made perfect sense. Um, but as I'm standing around, I'm just trying to kind of process what happened and, and, and as I'm processing what happened, he's walking around doing all those things. And all of a sudden, this line from a song that came to my head, I'm confident none of you guys have heard it. It's like a heavy rock Christian man. But uh, um, the song line comes to my head and it says, we hide under roof and steeple because we're scared of broken people. And, and, and that thought for my life personally just kept coming to my head. And, and I felt so convicted in that moment because if I'd have seen this guy coming down the street with his rings on, his glasses, his tattoos, I would have done anything I could to avoid being around this person. But I really didn't have that option because for whatever reason, he singled me out and headed straight towards me. And so later on, I started thinking, well, did God send me to him or did God send him to me? Well, maybe a sense of both. But I really needed to be shaken out of where I was in my heart and spiritually because I wasn't in a good place. I wasn't focused on God. I wasn't focused on others. And that's really what happens in our lives when we take God out of the center of our lives. We stop caring about others. Or when we focus on so many things that God becomes the last 
the last thing we think about. We stop caring about others. And those things steal our contentment. They steal our joy. And the reason they steal our contentment and joy is because it keeps us from living the life that God has called us to live. It is only by living out the life that God has called us to live that we have that joy and contentment in our hearts. And so as I'm thinking about these things, um, I, 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 another song lyric comes to my mind that says, you know, he's singing as if he's singing to God. Your love came to me, stood next to my love, and I saw that I was poor. And in that moment, like I started thinking about how poor I am in my love and how I needed God to renew my heart and to help me see people differently. And I think all of us as Christians need that from time to time in our lives, because it is easy to get in our own little bubble and our own little problems and the things that we're dealing with and, and the things that we're focusing on and all of those things that keeps us from living the life that Christ has called us to live. And, and, and within this country, there's so many Christians doing that. And, and then we wonder why. Why are, why are we so miserable? Well, this is why. Because we're not thinking on and living on the things that God says is going to make life the most joyful. And so as we end this today, um, those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we need to examine our hearts and to see where we are in this. And if we don't have joy in our life, uh, the question needs to be why. I, I have to evaluate my life on, on a very regular basis when I stop feeling that joy and contentment in my life. It's what am I thinking about? What am I pursuing? What am I allowing my life to go towards? And, and so it, oftentimes it doesn't come from nowhere. Depression just doesn't come from nowhere. There's something there. There's some root. And, and honestly, 99% of the time it comes from the fact that I'm not where I should be within my heart. And so we have to examine our hearts. And maybe you don't know the type of love that we're talking about today. Um, I don't know everyone's hearts here. I don't know how many people have actually come to know Christ. Uh, but God has that love for us. And that love for us changes us and causes us to have that love for others. And so Jesus came. He died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again so that we can be forgiven of all that we've done wrong. And so that we can have that relationship with God. We can have a new life and we can spend eternity with him. And so the response to that is, is to believe in him to believe in that truth that he came, died, and rose again. But also if we're saying that we confess with our mouth that he's Lord, we're also believing that he's in charge. And so to believe in Jesus and to give him our lives, that's the response. And so faith in Jesus is what saves us. And then it is responded by, by turning away from the world and giving him our lives. And so uh, we're going to take a moment for you guys just to, for all of us to kind of evaluate our hearts and think about where we're at. And then we'll close out by prayer. If you want to come forward and pray, you can come forward. If, if not, that's really just a posture uh, that we have towards God. It's not some sort of magical healing thing. But, um, you know, just, just wherever you're at in your life, uh, just take a moment to examine that and, and pray to God.